On the show today, Tinswano is back in the spotlight as the President's Sona speech is debated in Parliament. Hunt underway for a dangerous prisoner who escaped while visiting a dietitian. The Gauteng Premier on the launch of 6,000 cameras to fight crime. The latest polling on the elections and Sanral hikes toll fees. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener, on this world radio today as we celebrate this beautiful medium that we meet on every day at this time. Uh, We're watching a few things. Uh, We'll speak to correctional services about this hunt that's underway for a dangerous prisoner in Mamalodi. I'd like to know what he was doing visiting a dietitian. Is that a normal thing that would normally happen uh, for correctional services um, for, for prisoners? So we'll find out about that. Uh, we're also going to be speaking to Panyaza Lasufi, the Gauteng Premier, on the launch of 6,000 cameras in collaboration with Vumacam to fight crime. What do you think about this? And do you have any questions for the Premier? You can send those through to us on 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. But let's start with the debate on the State of the Nation address uh, that's underway at the moment. I'm busy watching that in uh, the City Hall because, remember Tinswalo? How could you forget and swallow? Well, it's the first of two days of debate before the president responds on Thursday. So we've heard from various MPs. Uh, firstly, the ANC MP, the Mineral Resources Minister, Gwede Mantashe, has had a turn at the podium. And this is a, a common refrain that we've heard from ANC members, pointing to the legacies of apartheid and the fact that um, the, the current government has had to recover uh, from apartheid. So Gwede Mantashe is saying that for the past 30 years, the ANC has been swimming against the tide of the apartheid legacy. Have a listen. Let me start by, let me start by reminding beneficiaries of apartheid, denialists and apologists on what we've been dealing with over the past 30 years. Following the work of the architect, Dr. Malan, when consolidating apartheid government, the apartheid master artisan, Henry Fairwood, said, we are building a system with deep roots that no future government will ever undo. Many people who criticize our government, including some in this parliament, argue that we must have done everything within 30 years, never refer to atrocities of apartheid government. They conveniently forget that this country was colonized for 342 years, of which 46 were under apartheid. That is what we are swimming against, and we must continue swimming against that reality. 
So that is Gwede Mantashe. He was speaking earlier on, uh, speaking about how the ANC has been swimming against the tide of the apartheid legacy. Other ANC MPs have also been speaking, uh, as you heard uh, in the news bulletin, um, diminishing the impact of, of load shedding and saying it's not the end of the world. Well, the DA leader, John Steenhuisen, has spoken about Tinsualo, saying that Tinsualo listened to President Ramaphosa's address with anger because her dream has been betrayed. Mr. President, thank you very much for sharing with us the story of Tinsualo, the child of democracy. There is no doubt that the South Africa that she grew up in after 1994 was a hopeful place. It was built on the South African dream, the promise that her life would be better than the life of her parents and that her children's lives would be better still. What the President did during his address was to tell us the story of Tinsualo's start in life during the 1990s and 2000s. It was far from perfect, but it was a time of hope and possibility. You see, Tinsualo is done waiting for the ANC to change. She has accepted that it never, ever will. She acknowledges the opportunities she got as a young person, which her parents never had. But she now thinks about the future of her own family above all else. You see, Mr. President, like millions of other South Africans, Tinsualo cannot afford to live in the past. She must survive in the reality of what South Africa is in 2024, not what it was in 1994. The memory of how excited she was at her graduation is completely turned to anger when she realizes that she has been unemployed for twice as long as it took her to complete her qualification. For the hard truth, Mr. President, is that when Tinswalo listened to the President on Thursday, it did not make her grateful, as he may have hoped. It made her sad and it made her angry. Because whether you like it or not, Mr. President, you have betrayed Tinswalo's South African dream. That's the dear leader, John Steenhuisen, speaking in the debate earlier. As uh, you heard there, Tinsualo very much playing a central role. At the moment, I'm seeing uh, Lindy Wezulu, the minister, uh, busy speaking. So let's get an update now with Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, who is following the debate for us. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Take us through some of the arguments that have been made today. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, um, as to be expected, the EFS not uh, in the House today and so not among the opposition parties who have already delivered their addresses. As per that clip you've just played of John Steenhuisen, he used the opportunity to base his speech uh, on an alternative uh, life that he um, sees Tim Swallow leading in a democratic South Africa, explaining how disillusioned she is because she is unemployed because she lives in a shack, because she has no uh, water and electricity. And saying all of this, all these dreams that have been dashed 
um, should be placed at the door uh, of the ANC. He also took a swipe at the president for protecting uh, his number two uh, against corruption allegations. And once again, said Tim Swallow had been disillusioned um, when the former president, Jacob Zuma, had used millions of rands of taxpayers' money to build a chicken coop uh, and a fire pool at his new Kandler homestead. So that continues uh, to dog um, the uh, mm. opposition taking swipes uh, at the ANC. Uh, and then uh, other political parties um, also um, re- repeating issues of state capture. Um, the IFP's uh, new president, uh, Valenkosi Slabisa, um, uh, saying that he believes South Africa was a better place under the government of national unity when the IFP was still part of that government. And then in his uh, estimation, it all fell apart. Of course, you can imagine the heckling in the room uh, when he suggested that without the IFP, the ANC had lost its way. So Mandy, very much opposition parties also using this occasion uh, as an electioneering platform, um, uh, encouraging voters to switch Mm. uh, their votes, saying that the ANC had just not delivered in the past 30 years. Uh, Lindsay, I played a clip of Gwede Mantashe saying that uh, the ANC has been swimming against the tide of apartheid's uh, legacy. This seems to be a, a popular refrain and argument from the ANC saying blame it on apartheid. Uh, what is your sense generally from their defense of the president um, and also their minimization of load shedding? Well, Greta Mantashe also um, defending cater deployment, quite interestingly uh, enough, uh, Mandy. So you will recall that yesterday the DA uh, won that final leg in that battle to have the ANC's cater deployment records handed over. And Greta Mantashe quite flatly saying, oh, we will continue to defend it. He told the DA, run to court uh, all you like. We will continue to employ capable people. Uh, and saying that the mining sector had been transformed And this was something that um, the opposition parties were not prepared to acknowledge. He highlighted how mining companies were now largely um, black-owned and how um, they had contributed uh, to um, the transformation of the sector. And he said if it weren't for cater deployment, there would still only be white director generals in government departments. There would still only be white judges uh, on the the judiciary. So um, he's come out in defense. Uh, of cater deployment, um, while the other opposition parties, of course, saying um, this has all led to uh, the faults and failings mm. of the system that they've been pointing out. And Gwede Mantashe is saying, well, everything can't happen just in 30 years. Lindsay, thank you very much for that. Lindsay Dentlinger, Eyewitness News reporter. So as I mentioned, Lindiwe Zulu is currently um, at the podium. Let's have a quick listen in because some jeering and gesticulating taking place there from the opposition parties. Israel apartheid will not survive. Will not survive because many people commit themselves to changing the lives of people. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, Let me remind the naysayers and those with self-inflicted amnesia what we inherited when we came into office. The destruction of the family units and communities torn apart by slave trade and migrant labor system, which we still suffer 
today. Apartheid policies that impoverished individuals, created special poverty traps, and negatively impacted on the human capital formation of black people in particular. A fragmented social welfare system based on race, gender, and geographical location. Welfare policies, legislation, and programs were inequitable, inappropriate, and ineffective in addressing poverty and basic human rights. And I would like to say, Mr. President, as a Minister of Social Development, it pains me to walk up and down the streets of Cape Town and see the number of people who are homeless. I, it pains me to see the DA talking so much just 200 meters from here. Walk down the street, Mr. President. I'll invite you one of the days. We walk and we see how many of our people are languishing in poverty outside on the streets of Cape Town. And I say to the people of South Africa, we care even for those who are out there because they are part and parcel of ourselves. We care for them. This government of the Western Cape that pretends like it is taking care of our people. Just walk out there and see what it is. <laughs> Mr. President, in your State of the Nation address, you outlined the remarkable journey we have traversed and the massive gains we have achieved under this government for all South Africans. And let me tell you, as you sit here and look at me, I don't look at any South African from any point of view either than the fact that this is a South African who needs assistance. This is a South African who needs to pay attention by the government of the African National Congress. Sure, Minister Ndiwe Zulu in the debate on the Sona address. Um, uh, what well, can you tell? We're in an election year, so immediately shifting the focus back to the Western Cape uh, government, uh, to the city of Cape Town, which of course is DA run, um, and the DA we know is going to be using that argument, saying where we govern, we do govern well, and she's trying to diminish that. Of course, John Steenhuizen shouting her down there, um, and also again this this very heavy refrain from the ANC leaning on this is what we inherited this is the apartheid legacy we're going to hear this a lot this is the key messaging coming from the ANC pointing to apartheid legacy what are your thoughts on that 702 702 Mandy Wiener weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. So we'll keep an eye on that debate uh, underway at the moment. We'll bring you anything that does develop there. Uh, let's go to the courts now. A few different cases we're watching. The Senzo Miyua case. Also, um, Popo Maja has been back in the Commercial Crimes Court for corruption charges linked to digital vibes. So progress on a state capture case. Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter, watching that one. Khomotso, good afternoon to you. Let's start with uh, Popo Maja and tell us what's happened there. Good afternoon, Mandy. So Popo Maja making a very brief appearance in the Specialized Commercial Crimes Court this morning. We were expecting to get a date on his trial and when that would kick off in the Commercial Crimes Court. However, today we heard from um, the state, so was the prosecutor, William, uh, William Pinsale, who told the court that they had a pre-trial conference yesterday where it was established that there are about 24 files, Mandy, that were handed over to uh, Maja's team, but only three of those files actually um, relate to the, to Maja directly. And so uh, the state is giving Maja's team a bit of time to consult on the contents of those three files. 
The state also handed over Majad's state, uh, uh, bank statements, which is a really uh, important part of this investigation because we understand that um, prosecutors and investigators were able to see those transactions through his bank statement. That statement is now with his team, and they will be consulting on um, the contents of the statement, the contents of the files, and we will return to the Commercial Crimes Court uh, at the end of March, or actually on the 20th of March, mm. where we're hoping to get a date on the trial set. So progress in that matter, Khomotso. Thank you very much, Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on the case against uh, Popo Maja. That's a Digital Vibes connected case. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Happening today, the Gauteng government launching 6,000 CCTV cameras to fight crime. It's uh, in collaboration with Vumacam, so a ceremony underway with the Gauteng Premier and the MEC for e-government as well, the MEC for Community Safety. Uh, so Vumacam announcing this partnership, providing the province access to its extensive camera network and advanced crime fighting technologies as well. How effective is this going to be? How is it going to work? Panyaza Lasufi, the Gauteng Premier, joining us. Afternoon, Premier. Thank you very much for your time. Hi, Mindy. You well? Very well. Thank you very much. Tell us about this uh, this initiative with the 6,000 cameras. Well, it's the final stages of our integrated uh, crime prevention plan that was launched last year in address for people of Gauteng uh, that will get uh, uh, the wardens on the, on the ground. We get helicopters uh, up there in the sky. We'll have panic buttons in the hands of those that are using smartphones. And most importantly, we'll have face recognition and car registration cameras uh, that will be spread across our province so that anything that is happening within our province, uh, we can be in a position to identify, follow, and where possible arrest. So I'm quite excited that today almost uh, 6,000 cameras went live, uh, not only in our suburbs, in the townships, in Kakhis, or Mansi, Ziru, so way to Alexander, all over our province. We now have 6,000 eyes uh, that we can uh, witness uh, events and uh, where possible uh, unleash the necessary power power from both the police, our wardens, and what was interesting is an agreement we have with the private security company. So hmm. either the, the private security company, the police, the wardens, whoever is closer, the traffic cops from municipalities, whoever is closer to the scene, We've been in a position to rush to the scene. And, um, so this is indeed now the final stages of what we thought we should develop as housing as a response to fighting the high level of unacceptable crime in our province. Uh, Premier, uh, on, on the logistics of this and how it actually works, so there are 6,000 cameras. You've explained some of the areas where they're going. Um, who is watching them and then who responds uh, if there is an incident in a township? Who is actually going to respond to that incident? Uh, it's a combination of three things. Uh, one, obviously, is artificial intelligence that is developing the camera. So is the camera. Uh, identify a commotion, it sends a signal uh, to our command center. The second one, obviously, is the command center itself. Uh, there are almost uh, 800 people that are watching these cameras. And we also have law enforcement agencies sitting inside there so that they can make the team to respond immediately. Thirdly, we've got vehicles uh, that are also following on the cameras. For example, the police cars, warning cars, private security cars, they can also watch the cameras. And on the basis of that, send a message to their colleagues through radio or send a message through the command center 
and then you can have people that are going to be dispersed. We'll be adding almost 400 new cameras uh, through the central network, you know. Uh, we had that eTOL uh, camera network that was there. Now that it's discontinued with the eTOLs, uh, those cameras will be handed over to us. And we also have 4,000 cameras that are coming from municipalities. For example, Johannesburg had old cameras. We are refacitating those cameras, refurbishing them and putting them into the system, Midval, Swani, uh, as well as other small municipalities in Merafong, Sibibeng, and uh, uh, other mm. municipalities. So we're bringing a network of almost, we want almost 18,000 cameras. Uh, but majority of them want also to channel them in previously unpolished areas uh, in the country. So. Uh, Premier, excuse my, my cynicism, but I can already um, uh, see the questions coming in. Um, how do you ensure that these quest- the, these cameras are not stolen? Uh, they've got a built-in technology, a two-meter in, because obviously we know uh, there are three areas that can discourage the functionality of the cameras. The first one, obviously, is load shading. Uh, so we have a battery backup uh, of a personal T-Rod. Uh, and the second one, obviously, is vandalism, where people will deliberately uh, want to vandalize them. The third thing is, uh, uh, is the jamming system. Some people will do crime, and when they want to pass through the cameras, they will jam the cameras not to function. So we've put the technology within all those cameras to dispel all those three uh, areas that I've just mentioned. And uh, those cameras are live already today? It's mine. You're on camera, Mandy. I'm always on camera, Premier, and so are you. Pani Sufi, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Pani Sufi, the Gauteng Premier. So look, what do you think about this? I'm so in favor of public-private partnerships. I think that there's a lot to be said about this. So this is in collaboration with uh, with Wumacam that already has a network. Um, Some of the questions there, of course, how do they respond? Are there enough people that are actually watching these cameras? Um, How does load shedding impact? I asked the question about whether or not uh, they can be stolen. I'm sure you've got lots of questions as well. Um, is there benefits to this? At least if we have eyes, we can see things happening, uh, we can replace. Is there an invasion of privacy? Lots of issues arising here. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Uh, regarding what Gwede Mantasha said about the ANC swimming against sort of the apartheid legacy, it needs to be considered against what happened in Rwanda. In 1994, which is the same year the ANC came into power, Rwanda was devastated by genocide. It was devastated. It hit them at every single level. And 30 years later, they've rebuilt their country. They've worked incredibly hard. They have built uh, their trade capacity. They've built manufacturing industries. They're building up their digital economy. If you go to Kigali, there's, there's construction everywhere. The people are hopeful. So I just don't buy it. It's the same amount of time the level of devastation in that country was much worse than, than what the ANC took over. It just doesn't hold any water. Mandy, it pains me to hear the ANC people speaking of, of unemployment. The employment, in fact, has gone high under ANC. And how many uh, state entities have been destroyed via corruption by comrade deployment and friendship family deployment? Really, they need to, to, to consider before they talk. No one is correct in this, but they should be looking at themselves direct. 30 years of destruction and didn't break down. 
Yeah, look, it's a bit hypocritical for Lindiwe Zulu, if you missed it earlier, to say um, it pains me to see homeless people and unemployed people on the streets of Cape Town because there are unemployed people everywhere uh, across the country. It's not a unique situation to, to Cape Town. So they shouldn't be pointing the finger. They need to do some introspection. Um, and that, that Rwanda comparison is, is one that often comes up, asked Tito Mbaweni. Um, but if you look at, for example, the, the policy of Umuganda in, um, in Rwanda, where everybody rolls up their sleeves and gets involved on the last Saturday of every month for um, mandatory nationwide community service, that kind of stuff, right? It's about attitude. But it's also about the government and what the government does. Sure, there, there are, are, are criticisms um, and there are human rights issues and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I think it is an interesting comparison and we're going to have more of that as the ANC government continues uh, to use this, this line of uh, blame apartheid, apartheid legacy. 7.02, The Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. A manhunt underway after a prisoner escaped in Mamalodi uh, yesterday. The Department of Correctional Services, other law enforcement agencies are conducting a widespread search to locate the whereabouts of this uh, prisoner. Um, Clutter Gumbo escaping from the grounds of the Mamalodi Regional Hospital. And we know that he was uh, serving time for a number of, of violent crimes. Singabako Omalo is the Correctional Services spokesperson. Singabako, good afternoon to you. You. What do we know about this uh, this escape and where this uh, convict may be? A very good afternoon and thank you for having us. Um, it is disturbing that a convicted person serving a life sentence finds a way to escape from custody. He was taken to Mamilo de Regional Hospital yesterday. There was an appointment for him to see a dietitian. And uh, that's where then he... Um, assaulted the guarding official who was with him at the time, disarmed him of the state firearm and uh, escaped. Um, we've been uh, looking for him since yesterday, hence we issued that alert, uh, also warning the public to say should they spot him, they must um, inform the nearest uh, correctional facility or the police. He was wearing offender uniform when he escaped, but chances are he will find a way to change that uniform because he will know that it will attract attention. But it mm. is something that uh, is disturbing and um, will not rest until we find him. And uh, uh, this happened in Mamelode, as I've said. So yep. started there, but uh, we also zoomed in uh, also to where he was staying before uh, being convicted. Okay. Uh, Singabako, I have to ask, why was a an offender, particularly one of who's been convicted of violent crimes, uh, taken to visit a dietitian? Is this necessary? Does it not pose a security risk? Is there not an alternative way to do this? It is not a unique situation. We have a number of inmates who are taken to, uh, um, to hospitals for various clinical services. These are services that you will not find in a correctional facility uh, because what we are located for is a sessional medical practitioner who will come on specific days, attend to those inmates, and um, we then have professional nurses. And from time to time, there will be referrals to outside uh, hospitals. So by law, we are mandated to make it a point that when uh, inmates require medical attention, we ought to avail it. And if uh, there is a recommendation that an inmate has to see a dietitian for whatever reason, we cannot deny that. So the only thing that we is, uh, is expected of us is then to 
to up a security plan and then take that inmate to a, a healthcare facility, you know, mm. for that specific reason and then bring that person back. It just seems so risky for for something that uh, seems like, not not um, to downplay the importance of dietitians, please, um, but it does seem a very risky thing for, for for an exercise that perhaps we could have, have dietitians coming to prison facilities. It is not so easy. We have 243 correctional centers in the country. And if um, the prescription says this inmate uh, has to be um, referred to an outside hospital facility for this specific service, we cannot say as correctional service, no, you cannot, because we'll be infringing on the basic rights of that specific inmate. So we therefore have to then draw up a plan to say how do we then take this inmate for that service that um, ought to be rendered. So that's mm-hmm. what we did yesterday. And even the ratio was required in terms of uh, um, um, uh, official to inmate. Uh, hence, we've launched an investigation surrounding the entire uh, escape episode to how did it happen because there were sufficient officials looking after uh, this specific inmate and another because there were two uh, when they okay. were taken there to say then how did they manage to split? How did this official find himself alone with this inmate? It's something that investigation must assist us. Singabako, thanks for explaining uh, all of that to us. Uh, Singabako Komalo is the Correctional Services spokesperson explaining this incident at that manhunt underway uh, for this prisoner who was serving a life sentence for rape, kidnapping and assault at the Bavians Club Correctional Centre in Swane, managing to escape from the grounds of the Mamalodi Regional Hospital yesterday. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, yet another violent incident at a school in South Africa, this time in Cape Town. A grade 11 pupil stabbed three times at the J.G. Mayring High School in Goodwood yesterday. Uh, the student rushed to hospital in a stable condition. Last week, you may have heard us speaking about the fact that a grade 10 pupil was stabbed to death at a high school in Innerdale, an 18-year-old, appeared in court yesterday on charges of uh, murder. So uh, that's uh, that's a story we're picking up on with Lauren Isaacs. Um, Lauren, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Pa- parents have gathered outside the J.G. Mayring High School in Goodwood this morning. Tell us exactly what happened yesterday and why the parents have reacted with this protest today. Good afternoon, Mandy. Um, well, yes. The uh, grade 11 pupil was stabbed outside of the school gates after school was dismissed um, yesterday afternoon. Now, the Western Cape Education Department has um, confirmed this incident. But while visiting uh, the school this morning and speaking to to parents, this obviously happened in full view of a large number of learners who had told their parents that an outsider had approached the grade 11 learner and this learner then stabbed the outsider first, he then left and came back with a group, a bigger group of people, and then stabbed the JG um, Mayron learner. His peers then managed to get him back onto the school premises um, for safety reasons, where um, an ambulance then came and rushed the, the teenager to hospital. Um, the concerned parents this morning were saying that there have been several incidents of violence involving learners at J.G. Mayring High School, but the principal and the, the education department have not responded to their concerns um, about their children's safety. Um, this one mother I spoke to said that she's enough because actually, on the school grounds, isn't there any worry? Let's listen. 
My daughter came to Czechia Mering last year and in the first few months my daughter had anxiety attack because of the fights that's going on at school. Last year we had issues with fights at school, we had issues with teachers leaving, we had issues with teachers absenteeism. So this year we just want to put an end to it. We're tired of the fights. Hmm. Lauren, what are the learners saying about the situation? Um, so learners saying are saying that they are fearful, they suffer from anxiety, that they don't want to be at, at that school anymore. And many of them are backing up um, the, the, the parents' claims, saying that they are going to their teachers and are going to the principal, but nothing's being done to solve this. Um, they're saying that they're glad that parents protested this morning because they want um, these concerns to come to light because um, this is something that would high, high levels of violence at school, this would, would usually happen or commonly happen at schools in areas, gang-stricken areas like Manenberg and Mitchell's Plain and Hanover Park and so forth, um, and that not many people actually know what's happening um, at this northern suburbs this is one uh, grade 10 learner I spoke to earlier today, Mandy. I don't feel like even being here. I don't want to go into the school even. I don't like... I, when I saw the school, I started crying because I was thinking, our oh, um, lives is in danger. This is not the school. I keep on saying this. And Lauren, another mother that you spoke to um, told you about a, a fight that her son in grade 9 was involved in just two weeks ago. What did she say? So I spoke to Tazneem Isaacs as well. She has a son in grade nine. And she said that her son had a good start to the school year until two weeks ago when um, her son and his peers were playing a game in the classroom and one of the the kids um, had gotten angry. She says that according to the teacher, the situation was resolved in the classroom before that period ended. But when her son left the class to, to go to his next class, there were three boys who were waiting for him who directed him to the toilet where a bigger group of 15 boys were waiting for him. And they allegedly then threatened him and said that if he fought back um, all of them, one would hit him, and if he fought back, all of them would attack him. Um, this um, incident was recorded on video, and the video was sent to Tutas Nim, the boy's mom, um, who I spoke to. She says that she fears for a child's life. She fears for, for the lives of his friends, because this has been going on for far too long without any consequences. Parents and children have today spoken to, to us about um, the number of learners who carry weapons and, and sharp objects on a daily basis on them. Um, and when this is raised, um, the, nothing's being done about it. Let's listen to, to what Tazneem had to say. I'm angry. I'm, I'm sad. I'm worried. I'm fearful for my child, for my child's friends. He doesn't want to be here. He asks me every day, Mommy, can you move me? And the thing is, he loved the school. And when he got here, he became the captain of the rugby team. He was so proud of himself. And then we found, then he, there was a letter that went out and said, there's no sports coordinator. Nobody wants to take part in sports with JG because of fights that happen. Excellent reporting there, Lauren Isaacs. Thank you so much for bringing us uh, those voices and painting us that uh, picture at the JG Mehring High School in Goodwood. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702.
Hi, I'm Andy. Uh, happy Radio Day. Um, it's Norman here in Pretoria. Uh, Radio has uh, informed us that has shaped the society's thoughts and views. And turning to parliamentary uh, commentary regarding this uh, narrative that President Ramaphosa related last week when he opened uh, the sauna on the narrative of Tinsualo, I think the President and the ANC have missed it completely. They are really uh, disinterested about what the society is seeking for and is trying to achieve going forward. And I think they fail. Uh, they must accept that this election they are not coming back. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mendy. Yo, 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 Mendy. The NC and is now are blaming the, uh, the the apartheid again for their failures, for their messes. Yo, yo, yo. Mm-mm. <clears throat> we we won't forget. We know what they've done. They've messed up our country. I wish uh, this guy uh, Tabombegi could refuse to campaign for the ANC. They are so arrogant. Instead of saying sorry to South Africans, they are, they are just showing their arrogancy. Yo. Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. So how is the ANC going to cope going into these elections? Because, of course, it is an election year. There's new polling out, uh, an Ipsos poll, which puts the ANC's support at 40.5%. So the ANC clearly risks dipping below 40% according to this latest polling. Another poll uh, looks to put um, the impact of Zuma's MK party in KZN really high, suggesting that it could grab half of the ANC's support in KZN. Well, let's unpack this with Wayne Sussman, elections analyst. Wayne, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Hi, Mandy. Great to be speaking to you again. So we've got a couple of polls out. There's the Ipsos poll. Um, there's the Social Research Foundation polling. Um, how how accurate is polling in South Africa when it comes to, to elections? And, and what kind of picture is, is it painting at this point? Very good question. So I think polling is good. Uh, I'm hoping that in this election cycle we'll, be, we'll see more opinion polls and not less. But what's key is when we analyze those polls. So one rule of thumb, and I get many people who come after me and give me election predictions, I always say to them, does it add up to 100? And that's the same as with a poll. So the one poll where showed the ANC in the below 40%, that poll clearly didn't add up to 100. Um, and it's also important to look at methodology. Um, I'll, I'll full disclosion, I'm, invol- I'm involved in a poll which should be coming out soon. And this poll is like 45 minutes long. Now, if you think about that, not everyone has 45 minutes uh, to sit down with a random person mm. who does speak their language. But what's the advantage of a 45-minute poll is you get rich insights. If it's a very quick opinion poll, you might miss out on some things. So there's a science of polling. But again, we've got to see the methodology. We've got to see when that polling was done, i.e., was this polling done before the formation of uh, Umkonto West Israel, Jacob Zuma's party? These are things we have to bear in mind. And then it's important to compare polls with what we often speak about on your show, by-election trends. Do these things add up? So I would say that by-election trends certainly don't have the ANC on 40% right now, as you alluded to earlier. Where do they have the ANC? Yeah, it's between 45 and 50, but we've got to remember that the ANC always overperforms in national elections compared to local government elections and overperforms certainly when it comes to national elections versus by-elections. 
So we've got to bear all of these things in mind. And just to remind them, there's a crude, simple way of looking at the ANC's decline. Since the end of Jacob's uh, the ANC has declined by an each four percentage points in each election cycle, from 70% to 66% in 2009, from 66% to 62% in 2014, and from 62% to 58% in 2019. The challenge for the ANC this time round is that the EFF, the ANC two-election breakaway success story, is still around, and you have new parties like MK, Action SA, contesting the elections for the first time. So the ANC is under significant pressure. Whether they're as low as between 45 and 50 remains to be seen. I don't think they're below 45% in any way, shape, or form. So if you look, for example, at uh, this News24 report today, uh, which uh, speaks about a, a secret poll um, that puts Zuma's MK party uh, suggesting it could take away half of the ANC support in, in KZN. How much um, faith should we have in, in this kind of, of polling? Well, secret poll means that we're not seeing the methodology. What was the sample size? Who was the polling company behind it? Might be a great polling company. There might be a solid methodology. But then disclose those sources. Because I think that will give the poll more credibility. Because who did? if it's a secret poll, it could have been someone's drunk uncle uh, who just came up with this poll. Uh, or it could be a reputable company. We need to find out more about who conducted that particular poll for me to take it seriously and hopefully for others to take it seriously. And then if you look at this, Ipsos poll um, puts the ANC support at 40.5%, the DA at 20.5%, the EFF at 19.6%. We're starting to see a picture emerging of of how these elections could go. Uh, Overwhelmingly, what it shows us is that the ANC support is declining according to this various polling. Yeah, and as I said, the ANC is facing more threats than ever before, and therefore it's logical that they will decline more than that 4%, which they've been declining in each election. The question is how much. If MK, and we're going to start seeing by-elections across KwaZulu-Natal before the 2024 elections, not just in the IFP strongholds, but also in the Midlands and in um, southern KwaZulu-Natal, if MK are going to eat into those ANC strongholds, if um, other parties are going to affect the ANC in Gauteng, then it's a nightmare scenario for the ANC. The other key thing, though, is if you look at the Eastern Cape and Limpopo, what I call the ANC's rural firewall, that at this stage is intact. But if parties can penetrate that, then that's a scenario where the ANC is at 45%. Because if it loses this rural dominance... We're expecting it to uh, lose ground in the big three provinces, uh, well, the, the big three economic drivers, uh, Gauteng, uh, KwaZulu-Natal, and the Western Cape. The question is, can they lose significant support in their rural firewalls, in their rural strongholds, because then they do fall below, start falling below, well below 50%. Wayne, thank you very much for that. Uh, Wayne Sussman, elections analyst, speaking to us there. And just for, for clarity, according to that News24 report um, about the, the MK party, uh, it, is, it has been done by the Social Research Foundation, which we know is headed by France Crenier. And uh, the SRF poll surveyed a sample size of 820 registered voters in KZN with a 5% margin of error. And um, they're quoting SRF as saying that when the SRF conducted 
conducted a poll in September. The ANC had 41% support of the province. So you can go and read uh, all the detail about that. But just an interesting analysis there on polling and where we are with all of that. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. ANC is talking about apartheid only the time of voting because they are crying for elections. Even now they are busy uh, arresting foreigners because they need elections. They are taking those things of apartheid. Why they are blaming apartheid? They are also doing apartheid, most. There's nothing changed here. There is no game, you know. Good day, Mandy, and happy radio day to you and to all the radio lovers. You know, I can't help but laugh at most of these politicians who believe that they are lashing out using a violent tone would intimidate us and somehow cause us to be afraid to demand answers for their wrongdoing. I want to tell the likes of Pemima Jodina, Lindy Wesley and Julius Malema that their scare tactics is not working because we can see through them. We will continue to demand answers and hold them accountable without ceasing. It's Legion in Swane. Danko. Danko to you too. And we are going to continue to help you keeping those politicians accountable. I'm not sure that that tone that you heard from Ndiwe Zulu uh, or Penny Majorino is going to be very effective when it comes to an election. Um, this afternoon, the Electricity Minister, Josien Saramahopa, Dr. Josien Saramahopa, is going to be having a turn in that debate on the State of the Nation address. So I'm sure that's going to get lots of reaction from opposition parties, considering the President told us in the SONA that the end was in for load shedding and then we went to stage six so watch that one 